welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we begin as many weeks as we're able to uh, start out the best way that we know how. That is by talking IU and Big Ten basketball, which we are going to do this week with Mike DeCourcy, and then Ryan Phillips will be here to do an IU basketball mailbag. A couple quick housekeeping notes off the top. Remember to keep SeatGeek in mind for your tickets, and you can use the URL iutickets.shop to go directly to the listings for IU basketball tickets. Use that promo code ASSEMBLY to get $10 off your first purchase. And then at homefieldapparel.com, the promo code ASSEMBLY20 will give you 20% off their entire selection of unique, comfortable IU gear. So SeatGeek and Homefield Apparel, keep them in mind. All right, and now. I am pleased to welcome in from the Big Ten Network, the Sporting News, and now as a bracketologist for Fox, one of the hardest working men in college hoops, the venerable Mike DeCourcy. And Mike, you know, outside of Michigan State is quite good, the Big Ten is so hard to figure out right now that I figure we'll just skip it and analyze something a little less confusing. So let's talk about the escalating tensions with Iran. Uh, your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, no? that might it might be easier to figure out. That's right. true. Now, nah, let's go with Big Ten basketball instead. That's what we planned on talking about. Um, as we always do, let's start with your thoughts on Indiana. And let's start with the positive. Because you released your first bracket today. You have Indiana as a number eight seed. Make the case for why Indiana is a tournament team right now. Well, the case is simply that everybody else who could take their spot is in a tournament isn't, isn't a very impressive tournament candidate either. Uh, for me, eight C does not connote necessarily solidly in. It to me says, and I, and I think I really believe the committee does this. I, to, I think when they're sharp and they're paying attention, I think they do this. I think they put teams in the eight nine game as a punishment uh, to an extent uh, that you know at, at a ten or eleven seed that they believe might have a chance to do something, they would put in that spot. And then the team that they really don't believe in, they put in the 8-9 game and say, if you can do something with this, go for it. And that's really what I was doing. I mean, NC State, their opponent in the, in, in the, in the fictional game or figurative game that I, that I put on the bracket has, has a lot of the same problems. Uh, so I, I wouldn't view that. I would view that as they are more solid a tournament team this, at this point than Georgia is or uh, Oak State, which were on the – on the uh, first four list. Uh, but I would say that they're less solid than say Rutgers, which I listed as a 10 seed. I don't, I, I, I don't believe that it's fair to the number one seeds to give them as strong of opposition in the second round as you would give the two seed or the, or the three seed. That doesn't make sense to me. So I've always believed that that's the way they do it. It seems it to me. They've never said that, but it seems it to me, and that's the way I did this and probably will continue to as I get closer to when they really start to feel like they're more in cement than this one. So Indiana's 11-3, and three, not as solidly in as Rutgers, <laughs> as you just said. And actually, when you look at the raw efficiency margins right now, Indiana is 13th in the conference, 0.1 ahead of Northwestern for last place. Now, granted, that's only three games in. To be fair, two of Indiana's games have been on the road against Wisconsin and Maryland. I don't know of anybody who's faced a tougher pair of road games than those. But still, there are pretty clear problems. And a lot of them seem pretty obvious. But what are the biggest problems to you? And do you have any ideas for how Indiana fixes them? Well, for me, the biggest problem is commitment to the offense. And you can see that in, in the 
final nine minutes or so, maybe a little more than that, against Arkansas, a team that that plays hard but is not overwhelming to go against. They don't they they don't protect the rim very well. Uh, they're not that strong along the baseline. They certainly disrupt you with the way they play, and you have to you have to stay committed to your principles. And that didn't happen. They they build themselves a beautiful lead. Uh, they 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 have a clear matchup advantage in Trace Jackson Davis and to a lesser extent Joey Brunt Brunk, but as a combination, an enormous uh, matchup advantage that produced great success in the first twenty minutes, and then they abandoned it. And why do you abandon it? Because it's easy. Because it's easier to just shoot the first pass and not have to think about, hey, you know, can I get that ball in there? Uh, can I make that entry pass? If I, if I, you know, if it gets knocked away, that's a turnover on my box score instead of, you know, maybe the shot goes in, that's three more points for me. Um, that's the way it seemed to look. And they did not play particularly well or as well in the first 20 to 25 minutes at Maryland as they did in the first 20 to 25 minutes against Arkansas, but you wouldn't expect them to. They're home against a slightly lesser team. So you wouldn't expect them to play as well, but they were in the game. And what did they do? The same thing. They abandoned their offense. They said, we've done this, we've done this uh, work in the show stuff long enough, hard enough. It's my turn. Let's see what I can get done. First pass, guarded. That's okay. I'll shoot it. And you're not beating Big Ten or NCAA tournament level. You know, there are teams in the Big Ten you can maybe beat like that. Maybe. Not many. Um, but there aren't any teams in the NCAA tournament you can beat like that. Not unless you got the Chicago Bulls 95 roster. You don't. So that's not a consideration. You have got to run your stuff. You have got to push the ball inside. And hey, if you push the ball inside, does that mean you're never seeing it again? No, of course not. It means that if you if if they double, if they cheat down, ball's coming back out, and then you can take your shot. Then it's a good shot. But that's not what happened on Saturday. That's not what happened the previous Sunday. And the result was the same in both cases. It was a more embarrassing margin on Saturday, but it was the same result. And, and, and that's the kind of thing that if they continue to do that, they're going to have the same level of disappointment that they had one year ago. What's your gut feeling? Do you think that they will be able to turn that around and you know avoid that? I mean, obviously losing twelve out of thirteen games—that was you would certainly hope an anomaly. But you know, what's your level of optimism in this team's ability to kind of get things turned around and get some positive momentum built? I'll be honest. I mean, it diminishes when that continues to happen because it's not though. What happened on on Sunday and Saturday is, was not unprecedented. It happened a lot last year. I do have my, I have my questions about how comfortable, how healthy, for lack of a better term, Robert Finnessy is. He doesn't look like himself. I have to wonder if he's, if he's compromised physically at the moment because he just doesn't look like the player that I saw when he was healthy a year ago. Uh, I saw a guy who was capable of leading a, a quality Big Ten team, and that's not happening at the same level. And, and also a guy who who was really effective defensively against the basketball. And I didn't think he was poor in that area on Saturday, but I didn't think he was dominant or controlling either. I thought he was fine. Uh, so I, I, th- I thought he did his job. But I, I, 
I, I wonder about whether that's the problem because it's not, you know, what's happening out there is not indicative of a team that's being controlled. And some of that, again, goes back to the fact that the player, you know, even if he is healthy, the players that he needs to get to do the right things are players who have more experience than him. It is hard to lead when you are less experienced than the players you're trying to lead, unless you are either enormous, uh, you know, and powerful and physically powerful, or you're just in just incredibly good. And then they have no choice but to listen to you. And that's not, I mean, Robert's a fine player, but he's not, um, he, you know, uh, he's not uh, De'Aaron Fox, say. Uh, you know, he's a very good college basketball player at, on, on his better days. So it's hard to lead from there. So it has to, you know, at some point it has to come, the leadership on this team is going to have to come from the coaching staff. And what I mean by that is guys are going to have to be held accountable. If the right things don't happen, then playing time is going to have to start coming off the table. A year ago, that wasn't possible because there weren't any options. It's still not a super deep team on the perimeter. But if that doesn't happen, if, if that doesn't happen, there's no reason to believe that it ever changes. It, because you're, unless those guys decide that they want, they want to win badly enough to start playing the right way, the way their coaches tell them to, um, you know, just on their own, I don't see how else it happens. It, what, you know, that scenario where they just wake up and say, okay, I want to win. I mean, well, why didn't they win a win on Saturday? Why didn't they want to win on the previous Sunday? I, so I don't wait around and wish for that. I think that I think there have to be some consequences to players who aren't following the directives of the coaching staff. And I, I know your your alternatives are limited. Armand Franklin on Saturday uh, was not effective, uh, but there comes a point where if you're going to lose. Isn't it better to lose with the guys that one have a longer future ahead of them and two can be convinced to at least, even if they're not playing effectively, play the way you want them to play. All good points. We did get a few listener questions for you and I want to hit uh, one of those, uh, which is from Alex. He said, in your opinion, against which teams does IU match up favorably or unfavorably in the big 10? Well, you know, that's, that's, I think, I think first of all, no one matches up well with anybody on the road in this league for the most part, because it's, it's, it's because other than perhaps Michigan state, and we really haven't even seen them have to do it. Their schedule is very advantageous early, really disadvantageous later. Uh, So they're getting comfort, comfortable early in the schedule because of where they're having to go and, and the, number of opportunities they're getting at home and that's going to help them build a a formula and a confidence they already have the most talent and now they start to be able to build that while they're playing a significant number of home games significant significant number of games against what few unaccomplished teams there are in this conference so that's that's the that's where it starts when you look at it from there I think it depends on whether Indiana is doing things they need to do. You know, if the ball is flowing inside the way it needs to flow inside, then there are teams that they do match up well against. I, I think you, you'd look at, for instance, you'd look at uh, Maryland, which 
if, you know, I know they didn't play as well, but if that game were at assembly hall and they played the way they're supposed to play, like they did say against Florida state, it's a winnable game for them. Cause as good as sticks, uh, as Jalen Smith is, uh, if, if, if you've got the two big guys playing together and they don't, you know, they, they, they do now have that option. Uh, now that they have their freshman big man available to them, uh, Shaw Marial, it, they, you know, they can do that, but it's still not a steady diet for them. So you can maybe overpower them a little bit. That didn't happen on Saturday. Uh, and it, you know, and, but if, if you were playing them in a neutral floor or playing them at home, perhaps you could make that happen. Uh, you know, I, I know Wisconsin is not, you know, is, is a team that they have not played effectively against very often. But I, I think that, again, if you play the way you're supposed to play, you, you know, you have a chance to be effective in that game. Again, especially at home. Obviously, uh, Northwestern right now is not playing well and, and they're injured. So everybody would want a shot at them at the moment. But, you know, I think that it's a really deep and strong league. So the first thing that you have to do is you have to go out there and you have to be playing at or close to your best every game. Because if you're not, you don't match up well with anybody. Everybody is a problem for you. They're, I mean, you saw it with Nebraska. Uh, they, they, weren't, they have not played as well since that week when they played IU to overtime and then beat Purdue and beat them pretty handily. They have not played well since then. And it, it hasn't mattered who against, whether it's a league team or uh, outside the league, uh, they have not played well. But, you know, you can see in that circumstance that you, you need to be at your best to match up well with anybody. And Indiana right now, for all the promise that we saw, even though it wasn't against good opponents, they were through that when they weren't getting great resistance, they were playing together and playing effectively and playing with high energy. And they, and they did, and they carried that through Florida state, the team that is not easy to play. They're hard to go against. Look what they did to Louisville on the road. They, they didn't even let Louisville off the mat. Uh, so, so that was a hard game and they still did it. So they, you know, it's in there, but, it, but if you don't bring it out, it isn't going to matter. Let's look at the Big Ten power rankings time. What does your top four look like right now? Well, Michigan State is an easy number one, and I told you what their advantages are in terms of schedule, and that's that's contributing to the fact that they're in a clear first place right now, but they also have a, a, an incredibly deep roster. I mean, Rocket Watts got hurt for a little bit, and Gabe Brown comes in and gives them more length, more dynamism, still a shooter, not as great a ball handler. He's, he's more of a pure wing than Rocket was. They were playing more two guard with he and, and Cassius than they are now with Gabe on the wing. But I mean, when you when you look at those and, and then when they start Bingham like they did yesterday, I mean, look at the length on that team and the dynamism. I mean, they are flying and it's hard to deal with. So they're a very clear number one right now, but they're going to face challenges eventually that they're going to have to be ready to conquer. And, uh, they they may not be uh, you know they may not be as experienced and as precise as they were a year ago. I mean they don't have McQuaid, great shooter, great defender. Uh, so they they but but they do have that incredible length and the chance to become 
just such a right now they're the number one offensive team in Ken Palm uh, in terms of offensive efficiency. And I think their defense can get way better than it is. And it's right now, I think it's 13 or so. So with, with all that length and, and the depth they have to keep running bodies out there, uh, it, they may get to February. And even though it gets tougher, they'll be really powerful. Uh, I have Maryland at number two. Uh, again, Maryland's, Maryland's got a chance to play at home a few times, which helps. I mean, IU comes in, Illinois comes in. That's two really good home wins. Uh, they're going to have to go out a little bit soon. And we'll see whether or not they can handle that. Three is Ohio State not playing well right now at all. And, and really surprising because, I mean, I was blown away by D.J. Carton in the Kentucky game. D.J. Carton played the Kentucky game. Like, if he played 30 of those, he's a first-team All-American. I mean, that, he was that good that day. And if he played 30 like he played the last two, I mean, he'd be, he'd be like a walk-on. I mean, he's, he, he's, I think he scored three points combined in the last two games. Uh, so they need him to get back to at least close to the level he was in the Kentucky game. And then maybe they start to fight for the one or two spots. Uh, and then number four right now, Penn State. Uh, Penn State's playing great. Uh, got a chance to – we had the uh, Iowa game on BTN on the weekend, so really got a chance to focus on that, the pluster. If you've never what a been fun, – What a fun thing they did. That's so great. Yeah. If you've never been to the Palestra, I haven't. And I know how much you love the game. I mean, if you love the game and you've never gotten there, you just have to put it down there someday. I got to get there because uh, it's just so cool. And, and yeah. it, was, it was really neat. Stephen Bardo and, and Dave Revson called the game. And uh, I was following them on Twitter on Friday when they were going around the building. And they were, I mean, it was like two kids that were let loose in a toy store. And then they came back and it was, and, and it was very, you know, yesterday in the green room as we prepared for our first Big Ten basketball and beyond. It was the same thing. I mean, they were just giddy. It was it was phenomenal. So uh, I, I, we had that game. Penn State was terrific in that game. Fought really hard against an excellent Iowa team. Did a great job defensively against C.J. Frederick. Didn't really allow him into the game. It's hard to keep Luca Garza out of the game. That dude is good. Yeah, but, he is. But they needed to do. And down the stretch, you know, Penn State, over the course of Pat Chambers' time there, had, has been a – I mean, it's it's not unfair to say it a poor offensive team. They've had a few, you know, sort of anomalies where they were at least decent offensively, but they've been in the hundreds in offensive efficiency for uh, more years than not under Patrick. This team is, is, you know, still has a little bit of looseness to what they do, but they are starting to really buckle down offensively down the stretch against Iowa they executed time and again. Now they're playing against zones, so that changes your mentality of execution. It's easier to see what you need to do when you're going against a zone. It's not always easier to pull it off, but it's always easier to see it. And so, like, they need to get the ball in the middle. They, they, they had this great play where they overloaded against the zone, which brought Luca Garza up a little bit from the baseline, and they stuck Watkins in the alley and then they threw a lob to him, and Luke Garza had no chance to get back. And Watkins is huge and powerful and threw it down for a huge dunk. And so they did that down the stretch at three great plays in a row. That's not the Penn State we've known over the past half dozen years or so. They, are, they don't only just have better players. They have players who are now following orders, executing under pressure. Very impressive to see. Their Alabama game, they were not good a couple of weeks ago. Not good at all. Before I think it was before Christmas but they executed down the stretch and, and pulled out a win that passed 
Penn State teams would not have. So a couple of the listener, listener questions here. This one from KC. Which coaches in the Big Ten are the best and worst at making in-game adjustments, either offensively or defensively, in your estimation? That would have been easier a year ago when John Beeline was in the league because <laughs> he was the best at that. Uh, he, he, that. He was a scientist on the bench. You know, it's one of the things that I would say is that, you know, so for some coaches, adjustment's not the game. I mean, Tom Izzo's not an adjustment coach. It, when they played Virginia Tech, if he'd adjusted to switching screens uh, against, against Virginia Tech, they, they would have won a game that they didn't have to lose. But that's not what they do. Uh, they may do it at the end of games on a, on a last possession kind of thing so you don't get caught on a screen and give up an open shot. But their deal is they fight through screens. And so even though if, if they had switched screens against Virginia Tech, which they could have got done one to five, because Virginia Tech doesn't have that guy who's going to take you apart if you do that. They could have done it all the way across the board, and they didn't. Uh, and, and so Aaron Henry ends up getting caught a couple of times on baseline screens, and they give up threes that beat him. So, it, so adjustment is kind of a fan thing. It, you know, people say, well, he, he doesn't adjust well. And, and that's not all, you know, even the best coaches don't always do that. They might tweak, you know, they might say, okay, you know, this guy – here is hurting us. So let's change the way we guard him, that sort of thing. But there are certain coaches that are great and hall of fame level who really are more about what I do in practice and instilling that mentality and instilling that so that you do it time and time again, to the point where even if I don't ever switch a screen, my guys become so good at fighting through screens that it messes you up even more than if I switched them. So that's, you know, and Tom Izzo's made eight final fours. It works. And so I think that that's probably, that's where I'd really like to answer the question is by saying that although there are coaches, like I said, like with a Bayline, that it, it, it is part of who he is. There are a lot of really good coaches in this league that it's more about maybe tweaking a matchup, uh, but it's, you know, Wisconsin doesn't, doesn't do much adjustment. I mean, they may adjust again particular coverages, but they don't, they're going to do what they do. They're going to Wisconsin every time and you have to deal with it. And, you know, I, I've, I've turned it into a verb because that's how, you know, they play the way they play so much that they get so good at it that ultimately, even though you have a general idea, cause they've been doing it for 20 years of what they're going to do, you still can't cope with it because nobody else does it. I want to get to this question from Sally. She said that she really liked your comments on the replay on BTN. I'm assuming she's talking about the Arkansas game because she said it was really confusing at the game when Al Durham got tossed in that game. So her question, she says, obviously you don't like replay, uh, which we know, <laughs> but she wonders what you think about coaches being able to ask to look at the tape for something that wasn't called on the floor uh, during timeouts like that. Cause Archie didn't seem to know what was happening either. If we're going to have replay, I would prefer a system wherein coaches were presented a particular number of challenges so that we weren't going to the monitor to look at every little thing. Uh, you know, I think to some, I think it's become a crutch. And I'm not saying officials, you know, when they make an out-of-bounds call, you know, it's, it's uncanny how many times they make an out-of-bounds call that is so fast and you think, how could he possibly get it right? Uh, and there was, a, there was an episode in the Penn State game the Penn State-Iowa game. There, it was a, a rolling loose ball. I can't remember which player from Penn State went after it. It might have been Brockington. Uh, he goes after it. 
Ryan Creener comes over him. There are bodies tangled between the two of them. The ball goes out of bounds and they call it, I believe they awarded it to Penn State. And it's like, how could he know? And I think it was Terry Weimer was the ref, if I remember correctly. And it just didn't seem possible for him to know. Now, he missed the foul on Ryan Creener, who's like 275, falling on the guard, who I believe was Brockington. Like, he missed the foul, okay. But he actually saw the right guy. He had it 100% right, who it deflected off. So we don't need, at the end of games, to go to the monitor to see every single replay to see you know, if it deflected off this guy's fingertip because the other guy knocked it out of bounds. I mean, for a thousand years, not really a thousand, more like 120, 120 128, uh, when the guy reaches for the ball and deflects it and knocks it out of bounds, it's off the guy who reached for it and deflected it. It's always been the way it is. So now we have video and we have to say, well, it did come off the second guy's fingertip. So, so it really should go to him. I just don't think that's good for the game because I think it makes it seem as if that last minute, two minutes is more important than the first 39 or 38. They're not. At the end of the day, they're not. You know, I, I, I've heard J.D. Collins say it is, but it's not. It may be more intensified. It may be more scrutinized, but it's not more important. If it were, we'd have one minute games. You know, we wouldn't play for 39 or four. We wouldn't play for 40. We play one minute because this is the only minute it matters. So I don't buy that. I, I don't like the way video has overtaken sports. Here's why, Jared. Number one, they don't always get it right. We saw that in the Ohio State-Clemson football game. Guy took three minimum, probably four steps, drops the ball. That's a fumble. That's that's the way it is. Three or four steps. I don't – slow motion, fast motion, took three or four steps. That's a fumble. And he had had the ball in his hands the entire time. The nonsense about him not bringing the ball into his chest is pure nonsense because – the, re- the reason you knew he had control was because he didn't bring it into his chest because if he was fumbling to keep it, he would have done that because it would have been the only recourse. But he knew that the defender had his hands in his chest and that if he brought the ball into his chest, then, it would have, then he would have knocked it out. Then the guy would have been able to reach it. But as long as he had it out here, he couldn't. So he was clearly controlling. So we don't get it right. And the other thing we do is we disrupt the natural emotion and joy that we of seeing uh, a touchdown or a big bucket or whatever, a big slam dunk, whatever it is, we, we disrupt that joy. I mean, I remember the 2008 Super Bowl, the Steelers won. Every single touchdown they had in that game, three or four, however many it was, had to be reviewed ad nauseum. I mean, now you look back and James Harrison's run and Santonio Holmes is catching the end zone. It seems so great. But at the time, you're like, did he score? It shouldn't be like that. It should be. He called it a touchdown. We scored. We win. Whatever. And that, that it's bad for the game. So if you want to have it, give the coach two challenges, three challenges, whatever the appropriate number is. If he runs out of them, then we don't have to worry about replay anymore. You live with the result. I, I could live with a system like that. And if you're going to do that, then every single play is challengeable. You got three challenges. You can challenge a foul. You can challenge an out of bounds. You can challenge whatever. It's nonsense where you approve a pass interference rule where you can challenge it. But in, in the meantime, the people who are in charge are not going to approve any such challenges. That's antithetical to competition. The NFL should be ashamed of itself for doing that. I, I, I really believe that's wrong. There shouldn't be certain rules that can be challenged and certain rules to, of others that can't be. You know, you get 
we've, we've been brainwashed into thinking that that makes sense, but it really doesn't. I fully, I fully concur. Last question for you, Mike, you know, with the last 30 to 60 seconds that we have, Indiana has offensive problems, but we want to talk about offensive problems. Vaunted offensive mastermind, Matt Painter, and his crew put up 37 points at Illinois. So let's end this on a high note for Hoosier fans. Oh. Give us give us some analysis of Purdue putting up 37 on the road last night. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you analysis. It was on the road. <laughs> I mean, right now, they are a totally different offensive team in Mackey than they are the minute they step their tippy-toe outside the door of Mackey Arena. And I think it starts with Sasha Stefanovic, who, if you look at it, if you break it down, at home over the last month, month and a half, he has not had a game at home that wasn't a double-figure scoring game, and, and usually by a pretty significant stretch. I mean, he's been brilliant at home. And on the road, he has not had I, – I, t- I took it back to like the middle of, of the month, so I might – I can't remember what, where they opened or whatever. But like the last seven, eight games that he's played outside Mackey, yeah, it was going all the way back to the semifinals of their tournament in Florida. I think it's six or seven games has not had a double-figure game on the road. So it's entirely different players, and I'm not blaming it all on him, but they don't have enough offensive weapons to be able to stand. Like, a guy who's a shooter is going to have off nights, but he's always had off nights on the road and never has them at home. So they get fairly predictable results, and they really are going to struggle to score in, in most of the games in which he's not a factor. Well said. Hopefully those uh, offensive woes continue for the uh, Boilermakers. Oh, I'm not saying that. <laughs> no, well, well, I'm saying that. <laughs> the guy in the IU cap, which I forgot. I'm sorry. You should have, I, I should have had my cap on. The <laughs> cap in the IU shirt said uh, he hopes so. The yes. guy actually a Pacers jersey. Pacers, yes. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm effectively neutral on No, it. we know. You support the Big Ten and you support good basketball, yes. and that's why we like yes, having absolutely. you on the show, Mike. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, and I look forward to doing it with you again soon. Thank you, Mike. Sounds great, Jared. Always a pleasure. Take care. All right. The great Mike DeCourcy joining us here for Banner Monday. Always appreciate Mike's insight on the Hoosiers, on the conference. And now let's bring in another person whose insight and analysis we often appreciate, sometimes on this show, the great Ryan Phillips. Another person who's what? I'm sorry whose insight and analysis we sometimes appreciate, or in the words of Coach from last our last show. You were a tool last game, and now you're an ass. <laughs> yeah. Taken out of context. <laughs> Taken out of context. Uh, your specialty, Morris. By the way, I, I, had your some, game. I know. I had some fun going through that uh, that game and pulling out. It had clips. to be mostly Coach, right? It, it mean, was like, it, Okay. It was all Coach, except for this laughter in unison by us which i found to be really entertaining in response to something coach said here it is <laughs> i don't know why i really got a kick out of that because usually it's me and andy with the in unison laughter but this time it was us yeah. um okay so let's hit these mailbag questions uh the first mailbag question comes to us from brian and this one is directed to you ryan can your mom bring okay. some tiramisu yeah she's she's gonna try just for coach <laughs> Uh, okay all right i'll stop now yeah, um, please do okay okay so let's hit the mailbag questions from jeff uh what's wrong with rob is there any path to a successful season without him playing to his potential should he be starting regardless of the fact that he hasn't been playing the way we'd all hoped and expected given the lack of good decision making by the guards who have been starting 
I will turn this to you, but I will just defer everybody to basically the second part of our first segment of the postgame show where we really broke this down. And essentially the answer was, you know, I don't think there's a, a, a path to a successful season without him at least approaching his potential. And I think he's yeah, got to th- get th- there th- and take we the all next agree step. That. Yeah. yeah. We all agree with that. Any path to a successful season this year for Indiana assumed a healthy Rob Finnessy improving his ability, you know, I mean, expanding on his freshman year and getting better. So uh, I, I think that, yeah, there, there's not really a path for Indiana to be better because of how thin they are at guard. And we talked about this in the postgame show. It's it's probably something that the coaches should have addressed last year, knowing coming into this year, you were going to be thin at guard. If one guy gets injured, where are you at? You yeah. know, I, I think that um, it is a fault in, in coaching and recruiting and targeting the right guys You've got to, you know, I know, I know you want to go get a guy like was DJ Carton was the big one last year. It's you want to go get DJ Carton, but you've got to have backup plans and you've got to have, you know, you've got how much energy you're going to put into DJ Carton knowing that you could lose him when there's other guys out there who are then you're going to turn to and are going to be like, well, they haven't been recruiting me that hard, but now that another guy's going someplace else, you know, I mean, so it's, it's, it's a problem on several levels. One is that your season should never be relying on one guy being good. It just shouldn't. I mean, you know, it's it's and that's sort of where Indiana is, is that if Rob Finnessy's not good, the offense is what we've seen the last couple of weeks with him not being good. And and, uh, you know, we know he's dealing. He, Archie has said he's dealing with an abdominal issue. He's going to be dealing with all year, probably. Yeah. Uh, that's not a recipe for for greatness when you're dealing with an injury. And, it you know, it, it's probably not Rob's fault, but uh, and it's probably not anybody's fault. Really, it's just an injury. And that's bad news because the other guards aren't making great decisions. They aren't playing well and they're not, you know, doing the and making winning plays. And when he was right last year, Rob Finnessy made winning plays. And when he's been right this year, he's made winning plays. I mean, he helped beat Nebraska in overtime. That was largely the Rob Finnessy and Trace Jackson Davis show in overtime. And that's the only reason they, they escaped with a win there. So the only thing that I can say about, about this team without a healthy Rob Finnessy is they're going to have to find ways to win. And and without a guy who can shoot 40% from three, who can score going to the rim, and who can move the ball and get the ball in the hands of the right people, there's nobody else on the team that I'm convinced can do any of those things. Um, you know, Al Durham can shoot a little bit. Devontae Green can make shots when he's not just launching crazy shots. Uh, and and both of those guys can find people, but can they do it consistently? And Can they defend the way Rob Fennessey can defend and all of those things? So, it's a fault of those in charge that this season is so dependent on one player being healthy and being right. Um, As far as whether that's ever going to happen this year, I don't know. We don't know. Uh, We are not in Rob's body. We don't know what he's dealing with, Uh, but clearly he's, it, it, you know, he's not the guy that, that we were hoping he would be at this point, whether or not he's capable of being that guy, we don't know, but health is certainly a big issue. Yeah, and as to whether he should be starting, I'm hesitant to criticize yeah, the that's hard. starting decisions yeah. too much, although I did do it before the last game, but then Rob came out and played really poorly. So I would still say by default, I feel like he should be out there because he's still better defensively than the other guys, and maybe by playing through some of this, he'll get better, but I can't say right now that it's clear-cut because we're not watching practice, and what we've seen on the court has not been that impressive, frankly, over the last few games. So I'm going to... I'm going to defer to the coach on that one, but if I had my druthers, I would like to see him in the starting lineup. But I just, 
I don't say that. Yeah, I mean, I think we all would, but but it's it's the kind of thing where are they still limiting his minutes? Are they doing this? Yeah. Are they doing that? Like, what are we trying to maybe get a burst without him and see what we've got? I mean, we don't know what the, what's going into that decision, but clearly Rob's not right. I mean, it's 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 obvious to anybody watching the game, and so that makes you think that maybe there are more reasons behind why he's not starting, and maybe it's that he's not practicing very much. Yeah, yeah, and we're not practicing well when he's out there. Um, okay, we got a lot of questions about the offense, as you would expect. Um, Jeffrey, we says, don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, so here's something. He yeah. says, "What offensive adjustments can we realistically make, given the lack of perimeter shooting?" And here's what I would say to that: I would not concede the lack of perimeter shooting because we have to find perimeter shooting to yeah. win. So I don't think you can look at it and say, "Okay, we're not." If getting you don't make shots, shooting. you're having last year's season. That's yeah, essentially, it, it, it can't just be let's compensate for not having shooting. You have got to find a way to manufacture shooting. So, and look, that's easier said than done. I get it. But whether that is running some plays for shooters, you know, changing what you're doing in practice, maybe even loosening the reins a little bit on these guys so they're playing a little bit freer. You know, we kind of hypothesized a little bit on the post-game show about, boy, it's, it's weird how all of a sudden the final five minutes of the game when everybody's just playing loose and the game's been decided, Indiana starts draining all these shots, you know? Whereas the first 35 minutes, they played so mechanical. They played so robotic, you know? And yep. after talking to some people, I think that's an issue with this team. Being and so, coached kind of. Yeah. And so is there – I mean, yes, you still have to have guys play within a system, and you have you can't just let people shoot any old shot. So, shot selection matters. But are these guys a little bit too tight? Because Devontae's – like, he's a, a solid outside shooter. Al Durham is a solid outside shooter. These guys can make shots. And while Armand, Jerome, Demisey – you know, Justin Smith, I don't, we don't have enough evidence to call any of them good shooters. They're at least decent. Like they're better than the numbers that they're putting up. So is there a way both through what we're doing schematically to try and get guys more open shots, try to go inside out more, whatever it is. And just through the way that the coaches are reaching these guys that we can get the shooting, because I don't think we can concede the lack of perimeter shooting. We have to find a way to improve it. And, that doesn't mean that the focus isn't still down low because that's the biggest strength. Yeah. But we've seen this before. The shooting well, has think, to come. And here's the thing. If you can't shoot it, what you need to do is get to the free throw line because you need those cheap extra points. I mean, like a three-pointer is better than a two-pointer because you get three points and not two points. It's not you know better because it's a, a an easier shot or anything like that. It's, it's the statistical advantage you get from making threes. I know it sounds very simple, but a lot of people don't really put that together. They just think you have to have outside shooting. No, the outside shot is worth it because of the inherent advantage of having three points versus two. And, and so if you're not going to get those, you need to find those extra points somewhere. And Indiana was doing it at the free throw line earlier in the year, of course, against lesser competition. But what you need to do then is find ways to get to the free throw line and get those extra points. And, and part of it is, finding a way to get the ball into Trace Jackson Davis, even when the defense is packing in the paint, something Indiana failed to do last year. Didn't have the inside presence last year that they do this year, but what they did have was a team that could drive. And what happened last year was teams packed in the paint and made driving very difficult. It's the same thing this year. It's just to solve a different problem. They're packing in the paint, not to prevent drives this year, but to prevent you throwing it into the post. The passing lanes aren't there. You know, there's more people in a smaller, in a smaller area. There's everything closes up passing lanes, driving lanes, everything. 
And then when Trace Jackson Davis gets the ball, the help is right there as opposed to needing to run from outside the three-point line in opening more space. They can just step down a little bit. He's got to make a decision quicker. He rushes decisions, maybe doesn't get as good a shot as he would have or doesn't make the smart pass that he could have. It's a lot. It affects a lot of things. Now, what you have to do is figure out a way to get him the ball, get Joey Brunk the ball, get whoever the ball in the paint when another team is packing the paint. This is a problem that other people have solved at times. It's not going to be clean. It's not going to be perfect. It's still going to be difficult to get it in there. But you run cross screens. You run down screens. You run whatever you can to make sure that you're getting the ball in the hands of your best player. Now, it's an adjustment to what the offense is. And and, and I think that they're going to have to start doing it. And it's hard to implement new offensive schemes and ideas mid-season. That's what the off-season is for. It's very hard, but you have to start making those adjustments. I said in our group text the other day when Maryland went zone, I was like, oh, this is the worst thing they could do is go zone. I don't know why they're doing it. And Indiana scored a couple times against the zone. The reason We've why, been good against zone this year. Yeah, and the reason why is they have a prescribed offense to beat a zone that I'm sure they worked on all off-season. Do they have a prescribed offense to beat teams packing in the paint? It doesn't look like it so far. It looks like they're just running what they normally run and sort of hoping they can hit the shots that they're going to get from the outside, and they're not so far. So when they went zone, immediately Indiana perked up, cut, you know, you had a guy cutting to the free throw line, you had people cutting off of that, you went high-low a little bit. I mean, it was immediately Indiana's players spotted that and went right to place and found easy baskets. And again, that's because that's something they've practiced, something they've trained for, not, you know, and, and it doesn't look like they've trained for oh, the paint is going to be very crowded this year. Here's how we do it. So the coaching staff, that's on them. They have to figure out ways to put their players in the best position to win. We talked about that endlessly on the postgame show after Maryland is you have to put your players in the best position to win. And the way you do that is you counter what the opponent is doing. And you make you anticipate the opponent doing that and counter it with something offensively, whether it's adding a different guy below the free throw line, you know, putting a third player in there to cut the back door or something, you've got to make changes and you've got to fix it because right now this offense looks clueless when they can't get the ball in the paint. And that's the thing is earlier in the year when they were hitting three point shots and they were looking a little better, it was coming off reversals from the ball going into the paint. It's not passing it around the perimeter and stepping into one. It's a reversal from in the paint where you get the defense chasing Get an open look. These guys aren't going to hit a lot of contested threes. They're not that good. You know, they're not great shooters. They're not guys who are just going to stand out there and knock them down with a hand in their face all day. If they get an open look, like Jared said, we've got some evidence that some of these guys can knock down shots if they get an open look. But when you're getting contested looks constantly, it's tough to knock them down if you're not a pure shooter. And these guys aren't don't appear to be pure shooters. And the last thing I want to make about the offense, and this kind of goes with the questions Mark asked, you know, why does the offense look sluggish? And Richard, you know, analyze what's wrong with the IU offense is everything that you just said is true and it's right and it needs to happen. And none of it will matter if there isn't trust between the coaches and players yeah. and if they aren't on the same page. And this yep. is the, and the other the message. The, the message from the coaches has to get to the yes. players. And it's th- not this telling is- somebody it's teaching them. And it's holding them accountable to doing it. And yep. and this is the other worry that I'm having that I feel like I'm starting to see more now as the competition goes up is, you know, part of the reason why some of the offense hasn't been working is the guys don't seem 100% committed to it. You know, we've seen evidence of Archie telling them to do something in the huddle and it not really happened. We've seen, and Mike DeCourcy talked about this just now, a half hour ago on, you know, on this very show, you know, about staying committed to getting the ball inside. 
You know, it's not going to matter if they don't stay yeah, second committed. halves. I mean, you want to know why Indiana has given up runs the last three games, like big consequential runs. It's because they're not getting the ball inside. I mean, they're not at the very least. If you get the ball inside, you might get fouled, you know, and you might go to the free throw line and you might break up a 17 to nothing run, you know, by getting a point here. We, you know, you, you break up a six, nothing run that could turn into a 17, nothing. run. Yeah. You know, so it's, so it's a big, that's what the offense is built. I mean, all season, Archie said, or all off season, he said, we're going to be built by winning at the free throw line and by getting the ball in the paint. Two things they have not done when they've lost is either of those things. And you got to make your free throws when you get there. But when a guy's confidence is shattered, it's going to be hard to make free throws. The only guy who seems capable of making free throws, no matter what, is Al Durham. Yeah. Really. Um, let's see. So Phil says, are the new recruits for next fall considered to be good three-point shooters? I would say that Anthony Leal is considered to be good. Yes. He, he's considered Very to be good. good. Um, Trey That's Galloway. That's his main strength, I would say, with Leal. Yeah, that and just effort um, are yeah. his main strengths. Trey Galloway, I would describe him as capable. He's not yeah, knocked I think down he'll by get any means, but he's and he's got to get his wrist issues. I mean, that's two straight years yeah. with a wrist issue for him, which is a concern. And Jordan Geronimo, I think, has a lot of potential to be a shooter. He's streaky, but he's got a good looking shot. I, he's known more as an athlete than a shooter right now, but could yes. certainly develop into it. So that's what I yeah, would no, say I, for those three guys. I think you can't expect Jordan Geronimo to step on campus and hit 35% or something like that. I don't think anybody's expe- expecting that, but he's a guy who also has a long lead. Like he's going to be a, a develop a guy who's going to develop every year. I mean, hopefully if things go right, he develops every year and is a good shooter by the middle of his career. Yeah. Uh, Leal is a shooter. That was his calling card. He's kind of developed more of a game over the years. Like, I mean, as a sophomore, people were talking about him being, being a shooter. So that's your shooter. If you're talking about it, Galloway, I like what I've seen from him as a shooter, but he's not hitting them that again, having the good, a good mechanics on a shot is as important as actually hitting the shots at some, you know, in some ways. So, because if you have good mechanics, you can eventually start hitting the shots. You know, you get your timing down, you get your release down, you get all of those things, but the, the basic mechanical things, I'm fine with his shot. When he's um, been healthy, it seemed like he's been a good he's, shooter. He, and his he's stats are just, his stats are a little misleading because he hasn't been healthy a lot. Yeah, no. And I, I think that, I think that he's gotten better as well, yeah. which is a key. I mean, we saw uh, again, a guy, in in Rob Finnessy, who went from being someone who could not hit a three point shot in high school, was a very low percentage guy. Then his junior year was a little better. His senior year was a little better. And then his freshman year at IU, he was much better, much more confident. As long as you see that growth coming, you can feel confident that eventually these will be guys who can knock down threes. You don't necessarily need a guy to be, and, and Indiana doesn't need guys who are lights out 45% three-point shooters. I mean, it's nice to have that, but you know, this team doesn't need that. They need guys who are a threat out there, who are a legitimate, actual threat to hit threes. And right now, it doesn't feel like, you know, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but when these guys catch and shoot, I don't have the feeling like, oh, that's going in. You know, I rarely do, and maybe it's just because I'm conditioned to believe that they're going to miss because a high percentage of the time, they are missing. But, you know, occasionally Devontae Green will catch the ball off a reversal and I'll be like, okay, that's exactly how he needs to shoot the ball. That one's going in. But other than that, I mean, for a while, it felt like Al Durham, if he caught the ball sort of in the corner, he was going to nail it. But that's kind of gone away a little bit. Rob Finnessy, I mean, with his injury issues, I don't feel confident he's knocking down shots. Um, you know, what's funny so- is all three of those guys, their career percentages right now are better than their, or their, their, their percentage right now is better than their career average. I know. Now, a lot of I it know. was 
you know, Devontae in one game and Al feasting early in the season, but those yes. numbers are surprising. I mean, Al's got to be a guy who can knock down shots for you. Like, I'm sorry, just looking at the way it yes. is right now, he's a guy who's got to be able to knock down shots. And and if he's not knocking he down shots, can't he can't really be on the floor if he's not knocking down outside shots because he's given it up on defense and he's not yeah, enough of and, a creator or a good enough passer again, into the post. And again, I think he's been okay defensively when he's been guarding the third guy. Right. Like, you know, like not, he can't guard Rob's guy. He's, he's probably not going to be able to guard the, the, the secondary ball handler. He's probably got to guard the third guy. And but you can't that, have I, him in a three guard lineup if he's not agreed. making shots. Yeah. I, I agree. No, I agree. I'm just yeah. saying that, like, I think he's actually been okay defensively when he hasn't had to face the driver, the guy that's going to drive on you. If he has to guard the sort of off ball guy, yeah, he makes mistakes, but he's not killing you. If he's guarding the primary guy, he's killing. You know, and and it's he needs to be able to knock down shots. And if he's not knocking down shots, he needs to be able to drive, get that floater going and get fouled, you know, because he can knock down shots at the line. He's the one guy who can who you feel like, okay, he's going to knock down his free throws, you know, like. Yeah. So the rest of Phil's question, then he wanted to know, were Rob Devonte Allen Armand considered to be good three point shooters in high school? I would say that Rob was considered, again, an OK three point shooter. Getting you know, better. Mid thirties. Yes. Devonte again, an okay three-point shooter, but was known more as a playmaker than a three-point shooter. Al was not known as a shooter nope. coming in. He's really developed as a shooter. Uh, and Armand was kind nope. of about the same as Rob. Well, developed. Yeah, a little bit lower. A little yeah, bit he lower was, than Rob. Yeah, right? he was he was improving, but there were still questions about it. And I still think Armand can be a good good three-point shooter at some point during his career. I don't yeah. feel it right now. I really don't. He's a better he mid-range that, shooter right now than he is an yeah, outside shooter. And he had, he had a great game against Notre Dame. Don't discount that. But I also think that he shouldn't be shooting four times a game from three, you know, unless he's wide open, nobody's around him. You got to take that shot. Anybody has race. Thompson should take that shot. If no one's within 20 feet of him, you know, you take that shot. But I also don't think that like he's catching it in rhythm in the middle of the offense with a guy five feet from him and burying threes. I just don't think that's going to happen. But is there anything that you wouldn't let race Thompson do? No, (laughs) No, I wouldn't let him pass the ball after last game. <laughs> but but look, I'll tell you about race. The, he's the only guy I felt like was giving maximum. Well, I'll give Joey Bronk too. Felt like he was giving maximum effort every minute he was in there. And quite frankly, it was embarrassing that that's true. You know. Uh, so the rest of Phil's point is, if our guards were con- considered to be good three-point shooters in high school, then we have a major issue, which could be attributed to Archie's offense. And one does not go from a good shooter to a poor shooter unless they have not bought into the offensive scheme or they have been discouraged from shooting. And so what I would say to this is it's a little bit of a balance. None of these guys are knockdown shooters. No. None of these guys is Jordan Hulls or James Blackman Jr. And even they're Nick probably Zisloff. Yeah, they're probably not even a poor man's that. You know, like they're like maybe two steps below that. And so that's why I think the offense needs to help these guys. Like they are good, you know, Devontae can hit a shot off the dribble. They're all, you know, Rob is really good off of passes from the post, you know, when he's just, you know, pat, catch and shoot. And Al is really good as a catch and shoot guy. But sometimes you have to manufacture some of those. You know, these yeah. aren't just going to be Set guys like James Blackman Jr. Yeah. that can go out and hunt threes and get them. Actually, the one guy who seems a little bit like that is Jerome Hunter, but he just can't make any of them. Yeah. So maybe that them. develops, but he can't make them. I mean, he profiles as one of the better shooters of all those guys, and none of them yeah, have Jerome- gone down. It's clearly just a confidence thing with Jerome when he steps into a shot. You can tell his his release points are yeah. different on his shot. It's all a mental. Has he, he just needs to again? He needs to have. One, he's the kind of guy. Unlike what our, we saw from Armand Franklin, I said this on the post game show, and I I didn't mean it to sound as harsh as it as it did, but I was saying that Armand Franklin going off in that Notre Dame game might have been a bad thing for his offensive profile. It's great that they won the game, 
but it's almost like he has a little too much confidence right now where he still needs to keep building on the little things before he can be a guy who goes and gets you 15 a game. And it feels like he's playing offense. Like he's a guy who's going to try and get you 15 a game. And, and so that's all I meant was as part of his development, it was kind of like this huge spike where now he thinks he's up here when really it was a huge spike that was great, but he's still down here, you know, and needs to keep taking the baby steps. And I feel like Jerome Hunter is the kind of guy where if he gets 15, just his offensive profile and who he was in high school, if he gets you 15, he has the capability of being the guy who can go get you 15 again. Yeah. I really do just physically and the way he plays. So, you know, obviously everybody's different and, it, and it's sort of one of those things where we're waiting for Jerome Hunter to break out. And I don't feel like Jerome Hunter is going to break out and all of a sudden go back to missing wide open shots. I feel like it's once he gets that confidence, it's his natural ability is going to take over. It's just waiting for that to happen is, is, is tough. And how many minutes do you give a guy in a game to try and break out? You know, I mean, it, it, that's got to be a conundrum for the coaches. Do you keep giving him 10 to 15 minutes a game, hoping he breaks out when he might be going 0-5 and, and holding the offense back when he's in there? So it's a balance. I, I, think, I still think it's coming. I called it before the I Arkansas agree. game and he got hurt. I'm I'm saying we got two straight games at home because it's going to happen at home. Usually guys he break out to. at home. The comfort level. Yeah. Northwestern or Ohio State. That breakout game is coming. Double digits from Jerome. And, you know, I think we certainly have to win at least one of those. I think we've got a chance to win both of them. Um, and I think Jerome's going to have to be a part of that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sticking you with see, that pick. By the way, you're seeing the results in the conference right now. Nobody knows what's going to happen. I mean, it's, it's, no. it's so crazy what's going on in this conference right now. No, it's insane. It's, it's insane. It, it makes insane. no sense. Like, it's, from day to day, it makes zero sense. Uh, Sally says, I don't know if you can discuss it, but I noticed that Christian Lander is showing leaning more towards Michigan than IU on Peagues. Are we losing him? I haven't seen that, so I can't comment on what the latest is on his recruitment. I know if he listened to the Assembly Call IU postgame show, uh, that couldn't have helped our... Uh... <laughs> oh, whatever. I need to pull that. I forgot to pull that drop. <laughs> Just delete it? <laughs> well, you don't I, I tried, again, I tried to make... No, I tried to make the counter argument. I actually do want to go back and get it because I think it's funny. But... Look, I think it hits on a really important point, which is that guards just aren't really developing right now for Archie at Indiana. Was I wrong? He's done I mean, it before. You may not like that quote, but was I wrong? No, I didn't. I didn't argue with the with the substance of it. I tried to. Okay. I tried to, you know, smooth it over a little bit. Now, look, you know, Indiana's a great institution. He's going to get a great yeah, education. Of course. Look, and, look. Here, I love here's Indiana. the other thing I will say. <laughs> here's the other thing I will say, just to play full devil's advocate. I don't think you know. I think Archie has to find a way to reach Devontae and Al. Bottom line, he kept those guys. They're his players. He even said it. He's got to find a way to reach them, come hell or high water. I also don't think those are guys that he would have recruited. And so, you know, to me, the development, you're really looking at... I could have seen him recruiting Al. No. You Al's not... So? No, he's not a good fit for the pack line defense. I mean... I could, I, I could see it. And he's not... He doesn't have... Well, given, I, given I, the other misses that... I mean, look, I, I like Al. Like, I, you know, I, I don't want this to like... I don't want this to sound too harsh, and it probably is... But, you know, for the development, bottom line is we haven't seen guards develop that much under Archie right now. Sure. And so and, and that's, that was my and that's point. the point that you were making. And it's not a bad one. And, and so so the point that I want to make here is I don't think, you know, looking at the ups and downs, the minutia of Christian Landers recruitment right now makes any bit of sense. If Indiana doesn't make the NCAA tournament and guards don't develop, he's not going to come to Indiana. Yeah. You know, like this season has to get better. Indiana has to look like a place that's on the way up because it's a coach's third year. Like he doesn't, Archie doesn't have a blank slate to paint on anymore now. You know, like yeah. the results aren't you what they the are. You missed the tournament this year. Yeah. So it's, so, it's so going to be a tough That's the point situation. is 
it's not going to be very attractive for a guy with all the options in the world if things don't get a lot better and if you don't show like wow, you know, look, Devontae Green, amazing. You know, he made third team all Big Ten. What a comeback for him. You know, Rob Finnessy really got going. Look at him. You know, the last month he of the season was one of the best guards yeah. in the league. Yeah, like if that stuff starts happening and the team plays well, now you've got an argument to Christian Lander. Otherwise, like, I mean, I love Indiana with every fabric of my being. You know that. And it would be hard for me to say to him, Hey, young man, you can go anywhere this you is want. This the best place for here. your career. Yeah. Yeah. Like it just, there's not evidence here's, to show it right now. Here's what I will say. The best thing Indiana can do to get recruits is win basketball games. You can sell your program all you want, but if you're not winning basketball games, no one is going to want to come there because your games aren't going to be featured on ESPN. Like, you know, you're not going to be hyped up, big game, whatever. You're not going to get all the things. There's a reason people go to other Big Ten schools. It's because they consistently win. I mean, you're not getting beaten by Michigan State because kids love that, love living in East Lansing. It's because Michigan State wins games and has a great coach and develops players and puts guys in the NBA. That's how you're going to get top recruits. Now, do you want top recruits? Of course, everybody wants top recruits. The argument that you don't want five-star guys or whatever is, is silly. You want top recruits. But the other thing is, if you're arguing to kids in Indiana who are, let's say, four stars, maybe a step below, but like top-tier four stars or whatever, what's your argument? against Purdue, against Notre Dame, against even Butler at times. Your argument is this is Indiana. We are a bit we are the big time school. You know, you can talk about facilities, you can talk about this, you can talk about that. But which of those schools has won more consistently? Which of those schools has put guys in the NBA, has developed guys, has made them better? And Indiana should be by far number 1 among those schools given the resources, the tradition, all of that. Right now it's not. And that's just a fact. I love, again, look at my wall. I love Indiana too. But we got to be realistic about this. Is if your argument to a recruit is this is Indiana and with a big, you know, all caps letters, like this is the place you come if you play basketball in Indiana, you got to be able to back that up with facts. You can't just say the tradition's great. Who cares if you were great in the 80s? I mean, this is now. I mean, it's, it, 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 honestly, I mean, there's great things about having tradition and all that, but you got to constantly be living up to that tradition. You can't just live on it. And, it needs and, to be and, a foundation, not a vestige. Yeah, thank you. I mean, and, and it's you know, it's great to have all those old players come back and everything, and the statues and the banners and all of that. But those kids notice that that last banner says 1987 on it. You know, I mean that that is that that breaks through more than. Yeah, a facility or something. And, and so if you want to consistently get top recruits, you have to perform consistently. You know, occasionally you'll get a guy who just loves Indiana, no matter how you were the year before, the year before that, whether you're missing tournaments or whatever, there will be a kid who comes along who just, I grew up loving Indiana. I'm going to Indiana. And that's great. But if you're, you have to remember, it's also a business decision for a lot of kids about who is going to make me better. Who is going to prepare me for the next level? Who is going to, you know, develop me and all of these things. And where will I have a chance to win a national championship? And right now, Indiana's got to have a tough time making that argument. And, and they shouldn't. Indiana should be able to make that argument easily, given the history, the tradition, all that stuff. So you want to talk about recruitment? The best way to land recruits is to win. You win games, recruits will come, regardless of what you're selling. They will come. And so Indiana has inherent built-in advantages but it needs to also perform on the court or it's not, it doesn't matter who, you know, you're going after. 
Yeah, I'll say it. it's good to see Romeo's in the NBA, Juwan's in the NBA. Sure. They, they, you know, Romeo's come back, has a good relationship. Those things will help. The last thing I'll say on this, I know you have to go, Ryan, but, you know, Chad, Chat Mob Chad said, you know, Lander, and he said, I'm giving up on it. I'm not giving up on it. You know, just trying no. to be realistic right now because I'm not giving up on the season. I mean, hey, if Indiana we're in a makes bad a r- patch, but yeah. there, there, if there's, Indiana there's makes a, a path, run. Yeah, there's a path to us getting out of this. I mean, it's, you know, we're just, that's, this is the moment we're in right now. But he said, Lander can see that he can come in right now, play and take over. I don't think that is a legitimate selling point to a player like Lander because no, I think anywhere that he goes, I don't think he wants to just go to a place where he can go in and take over. I think he wants to go to a place with other really good players that they can win something. See, that's and I think he'll be that, confident enough that, hey, I can be one of your two best ball handlers. I'm getting on the court. So yeah, that to me is not ago, a selling point. Years and years ago, guys wanted to go and be the only star. That's not the way it is anymore. Guys want to go play with good players because it makes them better. And, and and unless and, it's like a hometown case, maybe exactly. You know, like an That's, we talked about that, and and yeah. maybe that could be. You know, I, I guess you know that, and he is from Indiana, so maybe. But you know, you could also argue that for Louisville because he's closer to Louisville. So I don't know where that stands in his whole look. I, I'm not plugged in on that recruitment in the again, slightest. So it's not worth worrying about this because the kid's going to decide what he's going to decide. The the best thing Indiana can do to get a Christian Lander or whoever Indiana is going to get is to win games. That's the point. You win games and recruits will come and they will say, hey, this coach knows how to coach. He knows how to put guys in the right spot on the floor so that they succeed. And he knows how to do this, that, and the other thing. And it, you know, and also winning creates excitement around the program, not just for us, but for recruits, for people in the state, for high school coaches, whoever. They'll be like, hey, you want to go? Let's all get on a bus and go watch Indiana play this weekend or whatever. We'll sit around after practice and watch Indiana play. It, it, it creates a buzz when you're winning games. Even last year, for at the end of the season, where Indiana went on that little run, you saw the buzz starting to build. Like, oh, they finally figured it out. It didn't end great, but you know they, there was kind of a buzz. Like, oh, look, they figured out how to win in this system. The fan base is so ready to get buzzy again. Yes, you know? no matter what happens, it's look after Florida State, everybody got buzzy again. You know, sort of like, oh, this is for real. You know, and then it so again. You the good buzzy, not just the buzzy from like drinking your sorrows after well, a game. A little, bit of, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. But no, yeah. I, I think that, again, the, the default position is you win and recruits will come. That is that you know, you you're not going to get all of them because you're never going to get all of them. But you'll get more than you'll miss on if you're a program like Indiana and you start winning. Yeah. Uh, do you have to go? Uh, I can do one more. Oh, okay. Because we have one last question. This is... Uh, Let's see, Bay Area Hoosier. I was nervous this year as uh, upside cases seem to rely on historically inconsistent players becoming more consistent. Justin, Devontae, Al Duran, fair to say. What troubles me about the future is we seem to be in the same scenario, relying on players like Rob, Demise, Jerome, and Al, who haven't shown any level of consistency in terms of player health. Why should we be optimistic that this changes this year and in future years? Uh, sorry for the depressing question. <laughs> Don't worry, this has all been depressing for the last couple of years. I mean, look, I think... Number one, some of those young guys have to get healthy and get going again. Rob and Jerome, Race, even you know, I just don't feel like we've seen any of those guys for an elongated period of time at their best, and so we got to see what those guys have long term. You know, I think he, you know, he brings up a good point with Devontae and Duran and Justin and Al. You know, guys who were initially recruited by the previous staff that Archie convinced to stay, and they've been part of this program now for, you know, two-plus years. So, I mean, they are fully part of this program. Yeah. You know, and yet there do seem to be times where the fit doesn't quite seem right and where those guys don't seem fully comfortable 
leading, whether that's fully comfortable leading in general or fully comfortable leading in the system that they are currently playing in. So I think, you know, the, the, the cases for optimism are that some of that has stunted the growth and the development of what Archie is trying to do here at Indiana. I agree. And that as his recruits get more time in the system and things cycle out, that that gets better. And, you know, I don't necessarily mean that as a negative on those older guys. You know, it just may be that Archie is not putting them in the right position to succeed, and they may just be bad personality fits. Like, I don't know enough about it, but I think when when you look at the results so far, which is making one NIT and now, you know, sitting here at 11 and three, but with a lot of question marks, you know, as we go into the heart of the season, that's where your optimism would be that some of these negatives that have happened are because you don't have the upperclassmen leadership and ability that you need. Devontae was a three-star yeah. guard. Al was a three-star guard. You know, those are the guys you're relying on. And frankly, you just need more talent, ability, and leadership at those guard spots in your upper class to succeed. And Indiana doesn't have that. So it's, you know, trying to be as realistic as possible. That to me is where those that argument starts. Yeah, and I, I agree with you fully. I, I just think that it's it, you are relying on inconsistent guys to be be consistent, and you, you know, decide to be president of the Devonte Green fan club. I mean, we I, made cases all off season, you know, buying into those guys really developing, yeah. and I, you know, believed in it, and I still want to believe well, we in also, it, and want we to see also it heard a lot of positives about them in the off season too. So it's but at the know, end of the day, the evidence eventually outweighs hope, you know, and that's yeah. the thing right now is you've seen it in flashes. Al was really good at the start of the season. Devonte yep. was great against Florida State. They have it in them. Can they do it consistently? Because they the have to right be able now, to do it. The answer right now is no. Yeah. That said, you know, at some point, does the light go on? And, right. and and the problem is, is that you're relying on does the light go on as your hope, as opposed to why has it, you know, gone off in these specific games? You know, it's more like, is it ever going to go on? And it's not just to put it on them. It's can Archie put him in the position? Yes. Can he no, reach it's them a enough? Street. So I want to make two sure that's street. clear. Yeah, yeah two-way street. The coaches have to work. I mean, part of a good coach is adjusting your game plan to the players you have. Yes. You're not always you're not going to land every recruit you want. You know, you've got to you you're going to miss sometimes and you you got to work within the con- the confines of the roster you have and putting players again. We keep going back to this, but I think it's the perfect way to describe what is not happening right now. It's putting your players in the best position to succeed. They're not in the best position to succeed in my opinion. In a lot of these uh, it, it, they haven't been in a lot of these games that have been either close wins where Indiana probably should have put a team away earlier and wound up, you know, in a tight game or having to come back late or, or whatever. And, and it certainly happened in the losses. You're not seeing guys in the best position to succeed, you know, and that's on players and coaches. The players aren't doing what they're supposed to do within the system. And on top of that, the coaches aren't putting the guys on the floor in positions where they fit. And so again, two way street, but, you know, we're in year three now and, and Archie's had a lot of these players for three years now. It's kind of time to get past that. Now, well, they're not my recruits thing, you know, and not that he's used that as an excuse, but a lot of people have, is it, well, these guys are clean recruits at this point. They're not anymore. They're, they're Archie's guys. And, and he's got to be able, he's got to know them well enough to know either when they need to be off the floor, on the floor and where they need to be on the floor. And even if it's it's not an ideal fit, it can be a better fit than it's been. You know? Agreed. It's never going to be perfect. I mean, very, very few players yeah. are going to be in a perfect fit. Yeah, they're, they're not. They're, they're the not Quinn with Bob Knight. Okay, yeah. it's not the perfect fit between coach and player. You know, but like it can certainly be better than it is. Sure. All right. That's okay. it for me. 
you got to go. Uh, are you going to be here for the show Wednesday night? Uh, I'm going to try. Uh, I'm I'm kind of uh, there's a family commitment. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do the show and get out in time, but we'll we'll discuss. Are you making tiramisu? No, sadly no. not this week. Okay. Um, well, I know I may not be here either, but I know Andy and Coach are going to be here, so they will certainly have you covered. We can do Thursday night for sure. Okay. Cool, Ryan. Thanks for being here, man. Appreciate of course. it. Um, Thank you to the great Mike DeCourcy. You Mike, usually get to say that. I guess. Mike is always great. He is always great. Um, okay. By the way, so, how did you book him? What do you have? Do you have photographs or something? How did you get him to do this? Every he just loves talking basketball. You know, yeah. I'd known him from, we had him on podcast on the brink several times. And so reached out and asked him and he demanded a bigger salary than you. And so I agreed. And yeah. And mine has gone down as a result. <laughs> damn it. It's, it's all good. <laughs> he is in the business. He is what we call a good get. Yeah, he's he's great. I mean, he's he's awesome. We appreciate right, having him on. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, see you, Ryan. Um, I do. I have Later, one thing I need to talk about real quick. Okay, so you Later, can guys. you can bounce off. Um, look, I'm getting some crap here in the chat mob. People are asking why I'm wearing this beanie, and someone here said that you deserve to see. The reason I'm wearing the beanie is because I didn't have a chance to shower today. It was a very busy day. Um, so here, if you're just determined, Brian said. Uh, is Jared going hipster? Uh, is it chilly? It was cold this morning. That's the other reason. Come on, chat mob deserves bedhead Jared. Fine. There you go. I'll do the rest of the show. Like That actually doesn't look quite as bad as I thought. If I put the microphone or if I put the headset on, you can barely see it. So maybe I was maybe I was self-conscious for nothing and I didn't even need the hat, but that was why. Um, so one thing I do really want to quick talk about, though, on a serious note, is the future of Banner Monday. So, you know, as you know, for... From last season and then this season, I try to do it every Monday that we can. Last Monday, I couldn't, you know, because of some uh, technical issues and obviously over the holidays. But my goal for this year was to do it every single week. I don't know that I'm going to be able to stick with that. And so I don't really want to confirm every Monday from here on out. It'll kind of be Mondays when I can. Uh, the reason why is a couple of other projects that I'm working on. Um, Thinker's Notebook, of which I'm a founder uh, and unemployable, uh, which I'm a part of running their community. They're both kind of growing and taking up a lot more of my time during the week. So trying to do stuff during the day is much harder just depending on the week. So again, I'm going to try any Monday that I can. I'll certainly do it. You, know, you can check Twitter, usually on Twitter, You know, the morning of, I say if we can do it. But I just don't want to set the expectation of every single week if I don't know for sure that I'll be able to do it. So that's where I'll leave it for now. If anything more definitive you know, comes up as we move forward, uh, I will communicate that to you. Uh, but we'll do Banner Mondays as often as we can. But like, for instance, I don't know that I'll be able to do it next week. So I'll just keep you posted on that. So I, you know, hopefully you understand and I appreciate your understanding uh, if you do. Um, but certainly it's not going to impact post-game shows, not going to impact AC radio. Those are as locked in as brushing my teeth and going to sleep. Uh, so not uh, not getting not getting rid of those by any means. Um, but yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, we'll be back Wednesday night, IU Northwestern, Assembly Call Radio on Thursday, and then IU Ohio State on Saturday. A lot of content coming, um, and hopefully we get two good performances to talk about because Indiana really needs them. It's been a bad couple of weeks. You know, Indiana's taken on a couple of, of, of bad losses, and even in the wins, you know, it kind of felt like there were a lot of question marks, and you were beating teams ranked 60 and 70th and playing them even. And so I, I understand where there's some negative feelings. I'm feeling a little bit more negative, more pessimistic at this point in the season than I expected. And so we all just need a win. A, a win and a good performance against Northwestern would really help get this thing going again. It's something the team really struggled to do last year. I'm hoping they can pull it, you know, kind of pull things together 
find that camaraderie, find that belief in each other and in the system to go make it happen. Because certainly Indiana is better than Northwestern. They need to protect home court and then find a way to do that again on Saturday. And we could be feeling a lot, a lot better with a couple of home wins, get over 500 in conference play, and start to get some positive momentum uh, going forward for the future. Hopefully that's what we see. All right, everybody, thanks for being here. Talk to you Wednesday after IU Northwestern. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.